Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Too Tough to Die. My name is Mitch. Uh, I've got uh, 7 DUIs, been in prison, uh, been arrested about 40 times, multiple felon, uh, but I'm also a husband and a father and a janitor. Um, and so <laughs> this podcast is kind of a way for me to escape that reality uh, other than drinking. Um, I had a really hard time picking a topic for this episode, uh, and, uh, I've got like two or three already wrote out, you know, I, I just keep, these stories keep pouring out of me, and I, and, uh, so I try to catch them all in a notebook, uh, because, uh, this stuff's always running through my head, but I never put it down, and I finally decided it was time to start putting it down, uh, on paper and audio. And on the stage and everything, and just, just everywhere I can get it out of me. Uh, it's, you know, my wife's sick of hearing all these stories, so I gotta give them. I gotta put them out somewhere. My kids aren't old enough yet. Uh, and once again, my son is. I finally got him down to go to sleep, and my wife and uh, my daughter have gone out to the ballet to see uh, Giselle uh, Moscow Ballet. So that's that little thing we're doing, like a. a Family Fun Night, which uh, I would like to give credit to the Boss Baby television show on Netflix. Uh, wasn't a big fan of the movie. I had to take my daughter, and it was kind of a bummer. I was just like, ugh. Uh, but it's growing on me. And the show, though, uh, they had this whole thing where they do a Family Fun Night. And I really latched on to that idea of it. And uh, so uh, I was like... Uh, told my wife, I was like, come on, let's do a family fun night, and, and immediately she's like, oh, you want to do a family fun night, well, the Moscow Ballet is in town, and I think me and Amelia are going to go have family fun night together, <laughs> so, so I was left here with the wild boy, who is, as he's growing up, he's getting crazier, he's only two and a half now, uh, but dude, he is wild as me, and that's what I thought this episode was going to be about is kind of my wild youth, early youth and childhood and the reckless decisions that I made back then that kind of are mirrored in the decisions I would make over and over and over again the rest of my life. Uh, But this prison stuff, man, it's just I hadn't really told these stories to anybody uh, because a lot of my friends from college, they had all moved on and had families and got married or whatever and uh I was the first to get married because I got married right out of prison uh but I don't know they their careers were already set and I was starting over from zero after prison um but I wanted to talk about a little bit what the road to prison is like uh so uh you know you already know way ahead of time like I I had been awaiting my sentencing day for about a year and had an attorney and all that and uh, pretty much knew what I was walking into when I, by the time I go in before a judge, you know. Um, and I remember when I had the sentencing for my third DUI, uh, which is my first felony. They did it. It was like a assembly line style everybody who was being convicted of a felony that day all stood up and we all like just he would say he would lay out the one question and just go over and and like and then each person would have to say yes i understand yes i understand yes i understand okay and then he would you know like say the other bit you know i state your name blah 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 i'm hereby recognizing that i'm being convicted of a felony and i'm losing all these rights and all this kind of stuff and then you know yes i understand yes and we had to do that for it took about 45 minutes to do the whole thing uh but anyway but this time was different um when they brought me in you know i had uh had my final nights and everything and and up to that point, I hadn't decided whether or not I was going to go through with it, whether I was really even going to go to prison. I was afraid, and so I thought I would try to kill myself again, uh, and I did over the summer. Uh, but I had a couple of acid trips with a buddy of mine, uh, and uh, they kind of helped me to decide that I was going to go through with it. 
So I come in there and I picked out my suit and everything. I know what I'm going to be, you know, I know exactly the time and day and everything that I'm going to be sentenced. And I've decided not to kill myself. I'm going to go through with it. You know, I'm going to go to prison. So I go in there and, uh, you know, the judge says, do you understand what you're being sentenced for? That you're getting five years inside the penitentiary and five years out, which means... Uh, and you got to pay $6,000 restitution, uh, which isn't owed until after you get out. So, yes, sir, I understand, and blah, 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 everything, you know. And then, like, normally, because uh, my dad was a game warden and all that kind of stuff, uh, I got preferential treatment when it came to sentencing and things like that, or I was getting put away, you know. They could... uh come and see me one more time we'd go in a little interview room and things like that that shit wasn't flying this time though you're going down and so as soon as I plead guilty um you know they tell me five years you were sentenced to five years in the custody of Mississippi Department of Corrections doom doom but you don't go straight to the Mississippi I thought like there would be a prison guard waiting there to take me down you know take me to parchment and all that kind of stuff but it's not like that you go in the back and you keep your suit on and everything and they just put me in a little room with all the other people who've been convicted that day or whatever's going on with them uh and you gotta sit there and wait and so uh i'm sitting there for i don't know the rest of the day it was in the afternoon sometime before they finally got done sentencing everybody and they load us all into the paddy wagon and take you to the county jail, and and by this point, county jails had become way worse, man. Because there's no smoking allowed anymore after, especially in Mississippi, after the uh, the big lawsuit against the tobacco industry and everything came down. The feds, especially, you know, because like all the county jails became also federal housing facilities and things like that for people who were just coming through or waiting on a plane to go to a major place, and. uh so to get federal funding, you had to adhere to those rules because you can't smoke in the Fed. But the food in the Fed is really good out here. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, you can't smoke in there anymore. And uh, this is a not like normal. I've done a lot of time in the county, but it was in my county, and this is a strange county to me, and, and this is where I'd gone to college, you know, like I had given that life up. I'd stopped being a drunk and a and partier and all that kind of stuff. I was just a college kid. I, I mean, I was non-traditional, so at this time, I'm 29. This is before my 30th birthday. Uh, so they, uh, they bring you in the county, and, and now that you're MDOC, they treat you a whole lot shittier like uh i don't know because they're waiting on you to mess up because you can catch what's called a rvr a rule violation something i don't even know what the other r stands for i guess to throw it in there for you uh but you can catch rvrs and stuff while you're in the county which will reflect badly on your custody level once you get to central processing down in rank county uh, so you have to kind of be on your p's and q's and they put all the convicted people that are going down there in a in a pod by themselves uh but you know they take all your shit from you and your underwear and everything it's got it unless it's white if it's white you can keep it so if you're planning on going out and getting into some shit wear white socks white underwear and a white t-shirt underneath and you will get to keep all of those items when they give you your jumpsuit because fucking jumpsuit sucks so but i didn't have any of that because my lawyer didn't tell me any of that and so it took all that stuff from me and uh, so I was just naked under my jumpsuit for a while and they give you two jumpsuits and they fucking I don't know what it is that they wash jailhouse clothes in but they all smell the same man every county I've ever been I've been in three different states and several different county lockups but they all smell the same <laughs> uh, but anyway um, and that's all you get you get laundry once a week <laughs> uh, so they bring you in and uh, sabot everybody, you know, just for a second as I'm leaving the courtroom. Uh, get to the county jail and, and get me in my jumpsuit and put me on the pod. Now I'm like, oh shit, you know, because I've been in with some people who are some serious motherfuckers, but they were just there for like public drunks and stuff like that. And they weren't there waiting to go to prison. And all these guys are. Uh, and 
unbeknownst to me when I first got there at the bus like uh you think you just go they just take you down there but no this it's worked out efficiently so the bus only runs every so often when 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 each county jail has enough people to equal a bus load that need to be processed then the bus runs well the bus had already run twice and within a certain quarter I, I don't know how that works but I know the bus wasn't coming for a while so I ended up getting stuck there for like three months uh, and it fucking sucks you know I had to detox from nicotine and like uh my psych meds and all that stuff i'd stopped taking those but that went away and i'd been drinking pretty heavy that last year when i was living in an apartment after i'd been kicked off campus uh so i'm coming off of booze again and and just like coming to grips with the reality that you're going to prison you know it'd been different if it was like immediate you know like uh shawshank style where they take you right from the courthouse on the bus to the prison uh, but it's not like that. You got time to sit there and, and soak it all in. Uh, and as you're in there, uh, some of the guys have done a lot of time, and this ain't their first rodeo, and they kind of give you the ins and outs of what it's like and explain all the do's and don'ts. And Some people who are, who have come from, like, there's a juvenile facility, Walnut Grove in Mississippi, and motherfuckers that go there come out rough. You stay there till you're 21. Uh, and there was a kid in there with me who was had done like the early stretch of it, I don't know, however long. Uh, but he had gotten out of the grove and fucked up and violated his probation and was waiting on to go back down. Uh, but he was in there with us and all he did all day was push-ups and shit like that, getting ready to go, like thinking it was going to be a banging, kicking off all the time. Uh, but nothing like that in the county really happened that much. There was this one dude that was in there who I got a weird vibe off of. And, like, on the weekends, kids, people would come in, you know, and, like, sometimes they would send kids back who would, uh, you know, like they want to teach them a lesson or something. Let's put them in with the rough ones for a little while. And, you know, I'm not rough by any means, but there are some in there. And, you know, they're all people waiting on the bus to go to prison. Uh, and they put this kid in there who was about 19 or so, and this dude started fucking with him in, like, in a not-cool way. Uh, uh, like, in waiting on the line and stuff, he would, like, grab him in the ass and grab his dick and, and shit like that and just kind of playfully at first, but then it started getting aggressive. And then, like, one time he kind of cornered him in a cell, and, like, when that shit went down, I stepped in. I was like, hey man, what the fuck you doing, dude? And he was he was trying to be all hard in prison on me because he had obviously done some time before. And was like, you don't know what we do. I'm just trying to teach this bitch a lesson and all this kind of shit. You want to step, whatever. You know, I was like, look, man, we're both going down, so I ain't really worried about that. But I ain't going to let you fuck with that kid like that because I ain't cool. Um, because... Uh, there's people who stepped up from, you know, like I never really had a lot of trouble in, in the counties and stuff like that. But, you know, there's always a dude on the zone who's like not going to let anybody took advantage, take, be taken advantage of. And I kind of, we didn't have one, so fucking I'll be that motherfucker, even though I'm not, I ain't badass by no means. Uh, but you can find, you can bluff your way through a lot of shit. <laughs> uh, like Batman says. Uh, some criminals are superstitious and cowardly lot uh, when you're dealing with violent types and, and stuff like that you can you can mind play them if you have to uh, so um, when you're in there um, once I got in there I had uh, uh, broken up with my girlfriend that I'd had who's my wife now uh, we were off and on a bunch after she transferred to her uh, to a different school, uh, and especially once I started drinking again. Uh, but once I got in there, it really came to the realization that I wanted to be with her and I loved her, and and I was just a fool. Like I'd always said, uh, because I felt cursed uh, that I never wanted children because I felt life was a curse, and I would never bring that upon, wish that upon another being or entity or whatever the fuck you call us, intelligence wrapped up in a meat sack, uh, but I never wanted to bring another one into this world, 
Uh, and I think that's why I'd, I had such a hard time like staying together and be like we just constantly fought and broke up because I didn't want to morph into that uh, because I did realize that that's what was going on. Uh, you know, it's just some forces you can't control and, and uh, there's a path for everybody. Uh, it's, it's trippy, man. Uh, but uh, so uh, once I get in there and sober up and get my head together and, my, you know, it takes about a month. Uh, but I start writing her uh, because you can't even have like pen and envelopes and stuff in the beginning you have to wait a week like people can put money on your book you got like an account so they call it your books or whatever people can put money on there and in the county you can get commissary uh, and they give you a little list of stuff you can order like t-shirts for $12 and like a Snickers bar for $2 and you can get a Pepsi for $3 and prices are jacked up except for stamps and envelopes and things like that they all stay market value because uh people are really raise hell if you couldn't write a letter home i guess uh i think that's where the art of letter writing stays alive is in the penitentiary uh but so i started writing her and she responded back and, and we kind of back and forth for a little bit she sent me some pictures to take with me to uh for when i went down uh, to central processing um and so I was just there for a really long time dreading it. You know, what's it going to be like? And the bus never would come. That's the thing. It's like every, you don't know when it's going to come because they don't, you know, the guards there don't let you know. And uh, so it's just like every morning is today going to be the day. Please let today. Because like all the guys there who had been there before were like, uh, oh, yeah, man, it's so much better than this. You can get... Uh, um, you know, like how you can order the sodas and stuff. You can order tobacco on there or get packs of cigarettes. And it's nothing like this, man. You know, there's cheeseburgers and fucking, you know. Like the state doesn't feed you good, but you have access to junk food that will keep you from starving to death. I lost like 50 pounds in there, something like that. It was a bunch. Uh, but not in the county. I got fat in the county uh, because my family was keeping a pretty good bit of money on my books. And I was just getting honey buns and snicker bars and shit like that. I remember one time we were so desperate. Like me and four guys had gotten together and uh, found a way to get a cigarette. And they are like, yeah, it's going to cost you is it equal to about $4 uh, worth of commissary. You know, like you'd trade snicker bars or, or whatever, drink or whatever coffee i got real hooked on coffee in there i started drinking uh they got instant coffee that you can get uh but it'd only be as hot as the water out of the sink uh which sucked but <laughs> anyway uh so which is like four dollars for this i mean it was the painterest painter of fucking tobacco i mean it was more paper than tobacco we all just relished it you know, and you hold it in as long as you could, and I got dizzy off of it, and it was, oh man, it was <laughs> wonderful. Like I said, cigarettes are like a blanket in the county, uh, even that one, and I was, I'll pay it again. <laughs> uh, but that was the only one I got the whole time I was there, the three months I was there. Um, but, uh, you know, I got acclimated to being there, and it wasn't that bad, it wasn't great, but it, you know, there weren't many books to read. I started reading a lot of like Tom Clancy and stuff like that. And I think there might have been a oh yeah, I got a copy of Shogun in there. I had it mailed in, so I read that. Shogun's always my go-to when I got to do a lot of time. I start reading a lot of James Clavell and Lord of the Rings and yeah, uh, big long sagas that you can get into while you're in there. Uh, and they're easy to loan out too because it's easy to get another copy later on. That's the thing. Anything you have mailed in, you ain't taking back out in the county. That's you know, like books and stuff like that. You got to leave them behind. Plus, what a dick move. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so uh, the day finally comes and the bus is coming to get me. So uh, I mean, it's like early, right after breakfast, I think. They come and get us and they uh, take us into where you have to wait for the bus to come, you know, up front. And they put you. And uh, I can't remember if we were in the... Uh, they put us in yellow jumpsuits, that's right. Because CMCF, which is Rankin County, Central Mississippi, uh, the processing facility. 
in down in Rankin County. Uh, it's this huge place. Uh, they use yellow jumpsuits. So each county has a bunch of leftover yellow jumpsuits for when it's time to send people down. And so they switch us over into the yellow jumpsuits. And like and all the time that I've been there, I've replaced everything, cigarettes and everything, with this instant coffee. I've been drinking it like crazy all the time. I stay up real late and sleep all day. That's kind of what you tend to do. Stay up at night and read and then sleep all day. Because they never turn the fucking lights off on you. It's hard to sleep at night. Um, so uh, so I had been drinking so much coffee that I could think it had uh, fucked up my kidneys and shit. And I, was, I would pee all the time. And I'm pretty sure I had a prostate problem too. Uh, but I mean, it was like every five, ten minutes I had to pee, I had to pee, I had to pee all the time. And so while we're waiting on the place, I had drank a shit ton of coffee uh, because they told us, like, they gave us like 30 minutes heads up. And I was exhausted because I'd been up all night reading. And because uh, I thought it was just going to be another day in the county, I didn't know it was going to be the day the bus came. Um, and so I had drank a bunch of coffee and just constantly peeing. And the guards were even getting like aggravated with me because I kept having they kept having to buzz me through another door where the bathrooms were. And I was like, God, man, how many times are you gonna pee? And like all the other people who had to ride down with me were like, It's gonna be a long ride for you, man, because we ain't stopping nowhere to pee. And so I started worrying about that, you know. So I just every time I thought I had to go, I would go. And uh, so the. They finally come, you know, and and these guys are different than your county guys and the jailers and stuff like that. They're uh, they ain't fucking around because they deal with bad motherfuckers, you know, and, and like they take everybody at once, you know. You could be a, very, a violent criminal, a rapist, or whatever, shackled next to me, you know, who got drunk and tried to crunk up a motorcycle a couple times and it fell over on him. Um, uh, and if you want to hear the rest of that story, that's on there, on uh, the Spill It, you can go to the omnetwork.com and, uh, just go to the Spill It podcast and listen to the, uh, it is called Stuck in the Middle episode, uh, I'm the runner-up on there, and the second storyteller is really good too, uh, but anyway, if you want to hear how I ended up getting the felony that sent me to prison. Oh, afforded. Cut that out there. <laughs> so, uh, but these guards ain't fucking around. Get on your fucking feet. You know, like, name. They're, it's kind of like the scene in Full Metal Jacket. You know, Arling, who just passed away recently. Uh, and, you know, that's a funny motherfucker. I thought that was the funniest fucking shit. Let's see. Uh, but they're like that. And I try not to laugh, you know, because I've been. You know, I have a different outlook toward authority figures. Uh, and I tried to, to, like the acid really helped me change my perspective on the whole situation and kind of be very Buddhist about it and just this is an opportunity and see this is time to heal and reflect and change who you are uh, instead of it as a sentence, you know, it's a it's an opportunity. Um, uh, but they're all up in your face and... So they shackle you, uh, ankles and and uh, waist. They put a big chain around your waist, and then a chain that goes from your waist. Like they go all up under your nuts and everything. There's like a big leather strap that goes through, and they. Uh, I mean, like talk about overkill. And then that chain goes down to the chain in between your ankles, and then the, uh, your wrists are shackled to the chain that goes around your waist. So you end up doing like the prisoner shuffle, you know. Uh, but then on top of that, they shackle you to another guy. So me and this one dude get shackled, the one who would warn me about the ride being long if I keep having to pee. Um, and so, but they take us outside, and everybody's like, what the fuck? No bus. It's a paddy wagon, like just a regular like church-style passenger van. With the four-seater type. Uh so I'm like, what the fuck, you know? And there's 16 of us. How the fuck are we all gonna fit? Because it, it doesn't hold that many. Uh, plus, we gotta pick up like four more female inmates on the way down. And he gave us a big old speech about y'all don't be high fucking the women and all this kind of shit. And those are, 
Uh, so they stick us five deep on the back row, man. I'm stuck in the middle. And of course, before the vans even crunk up, I gotta fucking pee. <laughs> oh, it's horrible, dude. And like, both of my arms start, cause like your, your shoulders are back and your elbows are tucked back. And like, cause they don't give you much room on the, on the wrist, on the waist, and you're shackled to this other dude. And like, he was a big fucking stout motherfucker and the guy next to me too and then we were five deep on the back row and it barely seats three grown men comfortably, you know, like if you were on a regular trip, three grown people would sit back there. And they got five of us packed back there and I'm like, everything's falling asleep on me and my leg, I got poor circulation. I've had this knee surgery and my knee's fucking killing me. And like I'm constantly squirming because I got to pee dude's giving me a hard time like stop moving man just ride it out <laughs> it fucking sucked and then they stopped halfway man to, uh not even to get i thought they were getting gas didn't even get gas went in the fucking gas station got food and brought it back out there and ate it in front of us and shit it's horrible because you've been eating county food and junk food for all that time so uh we finally fucking get there it's like a four-hour ride and uh Oh, man, they're coming in your face, you know, like, you start hearing, like, all these whispers about the canine and stuff, and canine are, like, the the ones who come in and, like, in the right gear when shit's going down, or they're, they're the ones that toss the cell block and search for paraphernalia or drugs or whatever, contraband, that type of shit. They're bad motherfuckers, and so... You immediately get met with a canine who's all up in your fucking face. And you thought those other guys were tough. These motherfuckers ain't fucking around. And, like, they got you on the ground with a boot on the back of your head. And, I mean, they're fucking slamming you against the wall and all this. So they bring you in. And uh, uh, the only thing you could bring in is a Bible. And so the, how we would get pictures and stuff that you want to bring in is you stick them in your Bible in between the pages. They don't really look that much because they know that's how everybody's getting them in they just let it slide because i mean even they know you gotta let somebody hold on to something but my fucking god did they strip search the fuck out of you i mean you're constantly squatting and fucking coughing all the goddamn time and then so finally get a pair of white underwear state issues uh and so they give you all your state issue clothes and stuff but then before you can get dressed you gotta take a shower and so, like, it's like assembly line. They bring you in there, and they take pictures of all your tattoos and ask you if you're gang-affiliated and all that kind of stuff. And then they bring you in there to the barber, and his job is to fuck you up. He, <laughs> like, he, they get a thrill out of it, man. Like, the clippers are hot because they've been shaving heads all day. It's for lice, you know. That's what they're trying to protect from, I guess. Uh, but they skin your fucking head and like you've been washing your hair with Irish Spring for three months so you got like this thick layer of dandruff and like so it looks like you're fucking got white hair and it's not it sucks and then all your facial hair has to come off too and so they shave my beard off and I'd gotten a good beard while I was in there in the county uh, and left me with like this fucked up mustache where like this one side was half on there and it wasn't even and it was all thinned out. It was fucked up, man. They think it's funny. Uh, so after that, you have to go through and take a shower and everything. They give you state issue soap, which sucks fucking ass, but whatever. Because, you know, like in the county, you get in a routine because that's how you make time pass. You do everything like at a certain time on the day, every day. This is when I take my shower. This is when I do my this. And I took my showers in the morning. And so I hadn't gotten a chance to take a shower when they called for the bus. I'd like to do it when uh, some bullshit show would come on. You know, like you lose control of the TV. Certain people had the TV during certain times of the day. And so that's when I'd take my shower and go in there and go to sleep. And sleep most of the day till lunchtime. So I hadn't gotten to take a shower yet. And so that shower felt good as a motherfucker. And then got all the bullshit dandruff and everything off of me. Uh, and they give me my uh, clothes. And I'm finally fucking dressed and feel clean and everything for once. And uh, you get a state issue ID. And it's got your fucked up hair. It's after they shaved you and everything. You know, they take your picture and they 
all that shit and give you your number. Uh, my number is L8154. I have an old number uh, which still has a letter on it uh, because of my third DUI was a long, long time ago when they were still handing out letters. Uh, so everybody behind me are, I, they, you know, like they brought me up like, oh, you already got a number. So, <laughs> so I felt a lump. I don't know. It was funny. It's like coming to a new school, but you'd already been there before. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that just happens up on the on the hill, like at the top, where the parking all the employees park up there, and that's the main facility where they do your psych evals and all that kind of stuff, and like the cafeteria. It looks kind of like a high school up there, a little bit, uh, but that is not where you will be staying for the remainder. Uh, they take you down the hill, is what they call it. It's like a big long march. It's about a mile. Uh, it feels like it anyway. Uh, and you have to walk all the way down that hill. And you will be walking that hill several times over the next week. And they tell you that too. They're like, get used to this walk because you're going to be doing it a few times. Uh, and so the stuff is set, it's set out like spider webs out there. There's all these different pod buildings. Uh, and within each building is, is eight separate, that's four wings, you know, with four pods on each wing. Uh, and then cafeterias in between, like each two pods can share a cafeteria. So they bring you in there and they put you in whatever pod you're going to go in. Well, as I'm there, dude, uh, like you hadn't eaten all day or anything, they bring us in and they finally feed us, you know, like all the prisoners have already, they feed them early. Like once you're on the pod, you eat at like 4.30. Um, but it's about 6 by then. Uh, so they they finally let us eat and let us have all we want to, man. And I smashed some chicken and like I was just like, <laughs> You learn how to eat it off the bone, man, because you you're not getting good protein when you're in the county. They feed you fucking crap, you know. Uh, so I just destroyed it, you know. And, but the whole time the cook is like, don't get used to it, man. This is, you know, this is a rare treat. It's just because y'all are new and you happen to come on chicken day. You know, this ain't going to happen often. Uh, and, but they leave you out in the hall forever after that. Like, you have to... You, just standing around all it takes all day to go not very far to get processed and all that like you're just like moving from one room to the next and sitting behind glass and just waiting and waiting like all these questions and running through your head and you've already got to know everybody that you're sitting in the room with you know like what what did you not do <laughs> of course i always you know like, hell i fucking i fessed up uh so i didn't get to pull that one but you're standing in the hall forever before they put you in your pod, you know. It's like they'd call your number a hundred times to you know, like call your name, say who you are, and you have to holler your name. If you don't holler loud enough, that's a problem. One dude had a seizure while we were standing there. And like They had to come get him and cart him off to medical. And everybody was like, ooh, that sucks. He's going to be on, because in medical, you're like locked down 23 hours. They just come in and, well, they bring you out to eat and stuff like that, but it's nothing like being on the pod. Um, so, so we stand out there for like two hours, man. They finally put me on my zone, and I go in there, and it's big, like a kind of like a gymnasium is what it's like in there. But there are four of them in there, and then there are, so it's like sixteen all together in just one place. Um. And while I'm waiting to go in there, that motherfucker that I saw, remember, he had in the county who was fucking with that dude. He was there. And uh, he was like giving me, mugging me through the glass. And like, you'll find out what, what it's really like down here now, white boy. And talking all that shit. Uh, but, you know, whatever. I don't give a fuck. You're the minority in there. And so you just take that shit. Uh, which I'm, that doesn't bother me. Whatever. I have no inclinations either way when it comes to that subject. Uh, but, you know, he was talking mad shit, but he was in the other pod, I didn't even put in the pod with him, and so that was my first real, like, big fear, once I got there, I was like, oh shit, you know, what if I get stuck in there with this motherfucker, I'm gonna have to be fighting him all the time, uh, cause once you're there, you really get, you know, like in the county, it ain't that, but I saw a couple of fights, but once you get down there, you for real gotta scrap, um, 
So they put me on a pod. And uh, they give me my bunk number. and But it's like a big gymnasium with bunks. Like a, a bunk beds that are made out of iron. And they got two lockers on the bottom bunk. has two metal lockers that you can put your stuff in. Uh, and then it's 50 on one side. Like a row of 25. A big space in between. Another row of 25. Then a concrete wall that's like a little bit higher than the top of the bunks and then the same thing on the other side right when you walk in to the right are like these metal tables that are bolted to the foundation and shit with the TV up there which is way up high and uh, to the left is the sinks big rows of sinks mirrors and, and all the toilets and the shower and stuff like that it's all over there and like when you're shitting you can see the showers and vice versa uh, and that is something that's hard to adjust to. Shitting knee to knee with 300 pound black man is is difficult. I didn't shit for like 10 days when I was. Uh, I always took every time they moved me, I would have to adjust like that. Like took me a while in the county, took me a while at Rankin County, took me a while once I got to my facility. And it's just, I mean, ugh, it sucks. So. uh go in there and I walk down to my rack and the, you know the den in there is just like because everybody's talking and just it's high ceiling and echoes it's hot as fuck it was um in May when they finally brought me down there I got sentenced in February and it was May when they finally brought me down there so it's hot as a motherfucker in there and like I start walking to my rack and uh the dude right next to me it's it's just like you imagine he's fucking six foot five, six foot seven, about 350 pounds, looks like he should play for the NFL, fucking big, dangerous looking dude, uh, he was cool as shit though, he never, he was, he was somebody, uh, but he had what they call lay their flag down where they don't he had, he was just waiting on a parole thing like that's a fucked up thing too like if you violate your parole you have to go down there and it's like six months or something before you could even get back even if they don't violate you so he was in there waiting on some shit like that uh but at first man i was freaking out uh but he was cool and his right partner was a dude in a wheelchair and like he helped that guy he uh he would uh take him to take his showers he would help him with his meds he would help him change his colostomy bag i mean all that shit he was so i mean really couldn't be put next to a nicer guy uh but at first intimidating and he did a thousand push-ups a day him and this other dude would sit there and do them like a hundred at a time like he would do a hundred other dude do a hundred he would do a hundred I mean just all day long they would do that all the time and then they would do a day once a week where they would try to max out as many as they could get one day he did like uh, 2500 or something like that just fucking nuts man nuts uh, but I mean what else are you gonna do it's either that or read or and you can't got shit but the bible in there cause then all those county books you have to leave those behind they don't let you bring that um so anyway uh, so they were cool, uh, and the first thing they said to me when I get there is like, well, you smoke? I was like, yeah, I smoke cigarettes, but I ain't had one in three months. I was in the county, I paid $4 for the little painter, and I was like, oh, here you go, man, here, smoke up. And that would be my downfall, cigarettes again, they get me every time, whether I'm shoplifting them, or smoking them and having a wreck, and trying to light one, or leading me into a, some fucked up shit, man. Uh, but anyway, so uh, so there's cigarettes in there and everything. I'm like, oh, this place is all right, man. The guys are eating honey buns, peanut butter on them, smeared on them and shit. And like, oh, when you get that, well, you got to wait another week. You know, like that's a, it's always the waiting game. Even though you got money on the books because they'll transfer your money from the county down there, you can't access it for seven days or something crazy. And you can't use the phone for 48 hours and all that. I mean, in the phones, dude, it's like $7.15 a minute to or to make a 15-minute phone call. And then if you go over that, like you can only talk 15 minutes at a time, $2 connection fee plus the $7. And 
And if you go over that, uh, you gotta go do like it just hangs up on you. You gotta do the whole process again. <clears throat> it's a huge scam. I, I don't know if they have it anymore. I think they let them have email and all that stuff now. Because, but it was horrible how they would make money off of us. Uh, my wife had a phone bill one time that was about two, three hundred dollars just from weekly, fifteen minute, or like daily, probably daily, because it was pretty close to the end. I mean, you know, uh, 15 minute phone calls, $300, fucking nuts. Um, but, so, I'm I'm kind of settling in. Some of the guys I came from the county with are there with me, and, you know, it seems alright at first. You know, everything's not too bad, uh, just the den. But then, as time goes on, you start, like, they're feeding you nothing, dude. And the food they are feeding you sucks ass. Because it, it all comes from parchment. You know, they have the farm there. And so, like, the prisoners grow it. And it's so it's not really quality controlled. And, like, you hear all these horror stories about finding snakeheads and shit like that. I did find some bunch, bunch of bugs. And, like, when you would get the greens, it would have just trash. and Not trash, but, like, leaves and bullshit in it and dirt and stuff because it hadn't really been properly washed or anything. But whatever to save a buck, I guess. Uh, even though they're getting that federal aid. Uh, but, sorry. Uh, we'll get into the prison industrial complex at a later date. <laughs> um, but everything seems alright at first. And, and like your first week there is it's kind of a uh, it blurs by uh, because you constantly having to go up the hill, you have to make that mile-long hike like twice a day. Because you have to go take like a psych eval test and like a SAT type test to see if you have any aptitudes and stuff like that. Uh, because they have in Mississippi, they have custody levels. And so there's uh, A out, which is the custody I was supposed to be, which is nonviolent offenders who are doing short time who are eligible for the 25% thing. Then you got just regular a custody who are nonviolent same same thing but they don't get like 30 for 30 that's another thing you can get in mississippi uh if you don't get any trouble you get 30 days for every 30 days off of your sentence so like uh if you parole out with your 25 percent, you only have to do 30 you know like whatever 30 30 is accumulated half of that time on parole and then you do whatever probation or whatever you have. Uh, it's kind of an it's, it's something they've had to do because the prisoners are so full of people because they bust them for fucking weed and shit like that and send them to prison for 20 years. Goddamn morons. Uh, but anyway, so you have to take all these tests and all this stuff and I lie like a motherfucker on that psych eval when they're like, you ever had suicidal thoughts? Have you ever been prescribed uh, MAOIs or whatever? Or maybe that's not even the right word. Uh, uptake inhibitors and, and that kind of stuff, you know. You ever been on Paxil? No. Took it for three and a half years. You ever been on Zoloft? No. It made me try to kill myself. <laughs> you know, because you also hear horror stories about you don't want to end up in the psych places because they can hold you indefinitely. Uh, even though you went in with the sentence, uh, if, if they think you're a danger to yourself or others, they can hold on to you. And you hear horror stories about people not making parole because they were stuck in those places because they thought they should, they weren't better yet, so they didn't want to release them. Um, so I take all my tests and everything, and sitting around after that, you have to sit around and wait to get your custody level. Well, about a week or so goes by, and I get my custody level, and it's B custody. Now, B custody is uh, you're on a like more like the county style where there's. You're on a zone, but they're locks on, like it's a door with a the little tiny window slit with a lock on it and everything. Uh, and it's like a two-story kind of place uh, with the tables in the middle and stuff. Uh, and you have to go in there all the time, like you're locked down at night, and and uh, you don't get to go outside ever. That's another thing about the county. You never get yard time or anything. Like they let you out there every once in a while, and all you can see is the sky because it's a huge brick wall around you. I mean, where the fuck you going? You're in the county. <laughs> the people who escape are prisoners. You know, like not fucking in the county. They, it comes back B custody, and I start freaking out because uh, it's supposed to be A out. Now, 
big custody if you go in there you're in with some real motherfuckers i mean it's not near as bad as c which is 23 hour lockdown uh but it ain't no fun it ain't a picnic you know you're gonna deal with some major some real violence and like when you're in processing you're in there with everybody uh, except for like major you know like murders and now you might be in there with some manslaughter people and stuff but because they just put everybody in state custody to begin with. They just lump y'all in there, process you, and then you veer off to your where you're supposed to be custody level. Nobody who's like a D or anything is in there, but uh, I hate to see is all together. Uh, so they give me B, and, and I start like talking to some other guys. I'm like, well, they gave me B, but I'm supposed to be nonviolent. And they're like, well, if you get B, you don't get the 30 for 30. You're not eligible for 25%. So, like, I was going to end up having to do way more time, like, three years, and I start freaking the fuck out, man. Like, I am panicking. And I'm calling home and trying to, like, you got to get in touch with my lawyer and see what the fuck's going on. This is crazy. You know, and, like, they come and get the B custody guys a whole lot faster than they come get the A custody. Because A custody is, like, satellite facilities where you're... Uh, like there's no gate and you're uh, you go out in the world every day to work if you see if you live in Mississippi uh, you see people in green and white stripes like picking up trash or helping out at the county fair and stuff like that those are that's what I was supposed to be Uh, and but there's a it takes a lot longer for them to get processed through because there's not many satellite facilities and there's a lot of people that want to go. So you have to wait for a bed to come up and like for somebody to get in trouble and get rode out of there, you know, because like if you get an RVR or get in a fight or, or whatever, get caught with contraband, they ride you back to central process and you lose that custody. You get dropped down and you go to another facility or depending on the severity and stuff like that. Um, So I'm freaking the fuck out. They're like, yeah, dude, that ain't cool. You know, like, you're gonna do probably at least two and a half, you know, out of that five. And so, like, like I had already kind of established things back with my, who's my current wife, with my girlfriend. Where like, you know, we start talking about maybe we could have a life together after prison, and and you know, like, it's the early stages of that. But that's, you know, I got some hope, uh, and all that comes crumbling down when I hear that shit. Like, I'm freaking out. And so, uh, get with the lawyer and everything, and they're going to try to straighten it out. But if it happens that they come and tap my toe, I'm not, he's like, don't raise hell, because that's what they do. They come tap your toe in the middle of the night when it's time to go to wherever you're going. Um, so I'm freaking out every night when I go to sleep, thinking they're going to come tap, and like, oh, it's just, it was awful. And so, in that, I uh, decided uh like this i kind of been there for a while and friended up with a lot of people you know like um, but i'm not aware of like all the ins and outs of the inner prison social hierarchy and stuff or whatever it is the system how it's really run from the inside not the guards and shit but the people who are in there living uh i'm not aware of all that shit uh, so there's this guy there who's been getting tobacco deliveries from like whenever you go to your med and shit uh, up on the hill. Uh, you could trade stamp, uh, stamps is the, com- is the commerce in there. That's the money. Uh, you can trade stamps for tobacco from the guys who are not in process and the guys who actually work there and the prisoners who work there and shit who trade you for like huge inflation, you know. <laughs> Uh, but so I, I'm like, well, if I'm going to be custody, I need to start getting hit some of these games and doing some of this shit and being more criminal, you know, cause I hadn't really, <clears throat> that wasn't really who I was. I was just a drunk who had stumbled into some really, really bad decisions. Uh, so I'm like, well, I gotta learn, you know, I, I can adapt pretty much anywhere. So I'm like, well, I gotta learn how to survive in this. If that's where I'm going, it's going to be more like this than I need to get more like that so uh this one guy he gets he's a custody and he gets tapped out one night and it's who this other dude has been partnering up with they they pile their stamps together so they can afford tobacco and they sell half of it and they smoke half of it 
but you end up saving a lot of money because like it was killing me to buy them one at a time from everybody uh so i was like hey man uh can i get in on that with you you know like since he's gone can i you know invest with you basically <laughs> on that because i was trying to come up with ways to get free tobacco same way same reason i ever sold drugs or anything like that that's why i did it so i could smoke for free or snort for free or whatever uh you know i was just selling them so i didn't have to come out of pocket um so he's like yeah sure dude no problem come in and get in on it so i save up you know i got my stamps or whatever and i i go in with him uh, and the delivery comes through and everything goes smooth, you know, because you run the risk of the dude getting caught and you lose all your shit. And, like, I had a lot, of, you know, I was like 10 bucks worth of stamps I was going to be losing. Uh, but it all worked out. And so, like, their whole little ritual was they would sit there and roll it all up. You know, like, uh, we used either pages out of the Bible or the wrapping for the toilet paper when you got desperate. Or some people refused to smoke Bible pages. They were at a higher moral standard. Um, they would use the toilet paper wrapping, you know, like the paper that it comes encased in, not the actual shit paper. <laughs> uh, but so they would sit there and roll them all up. And then as they were doing that, people would come up and buy them like, you know, you trade a honey bun or trade a Snickers or trade a drink or whatever for however many uh, c- cigarettes that equaled out to. Uh, so we're sitting there on the rack rolling them up, you know, and uh, people are coming at me and I kind of, I'm getting low. I'm out of the ones I want to sell. And so I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm not selling anymore. These are all for me. And the dude's like, no, nah, dude, you need to sell me some. And I'm like, no, nah, man, these are mine. You know, like I'm I'm holding on to this. Next time it comes through, I'll hook you up. He's like, no, nah, dude, you're going to give me them. And like I've noticed a lot of people have started circling around my rack where I'm rolling these cigarettes. Uh, and the other dude is starting to get real nervous. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, he is member of a rival organization in there uh, who is not the dominant organization on that zone. And I have inadvertently gotten myself trapped in some shit. And I'm about to kick off a gangbanging in this fucking place where 75 of the hundred men in there are affiliated in one way or the other and are all going to be involved all because i wanted some free cigarettes uh so it starts getting rough and like you came back down you gotta you can't bitch out and so i'm take my tobacco and set it to the side stand up and i'm surrounded i mean like they're on all sides of my rack uh, and say, you know, if you want it, come take it. You know? <laughs> and then I, my savior comes, the big man who helps the guy take his showers and stuff. A name will remain anonymous. Uh, comes walking, striding through the crowd. And uh, a head taller than everybody else comes over to me and fucking snatches the tobacco out of, hand, out of my hands. Give me that shit. So... I think he's just, because he is also part of that, even though he's laid his flag down, I think he's just stepping to me, you know, he's going to be the one to do it. Uh, And so I'm like, so I square up to him, like I'm going to take this motherfucker on, he's going to destroy me in two seconds. But you have to, you have to. If you back down, they're going to eat you alive. Uh, And so he kind of looks at me like, this motherfucker really is willing to get the fuck beat out of him over these fucking cigarettes, this bullshit tobacco. I mean, it's like dry, crumbly, but like it's not even the kind they care about. Yeah, <laughs> like they're giving you their leavings. I, I think he kind of took, he was took back a little bit, pressed a little bit. But for sure, I'd have been destroyed just by one of them, not to mention the 20 that were fucking encircling me. And so... He takes it, he's like, look, man, I ain't taking it from you, but you don't understand what you about to kick off in here, and I got to go settle this shit. And so what you don't realize is in there, there's a whole structure of the groups that are in there. Each have a representative who's in charge of shit, and whenever shit starts about to get violent, 
they have a council meeting and decide whether or not violence will ensue. <laughs> you know, like, well, what was the offense? Well, do you feel that this offense requires violence? Well, I don't know. He's kind of felt slighted. Well, do you think maybe we could uh, trade some candy bars for it? I don't know if candy bars are good. I got a lot of candy bars. <laughs> How about two minutes of violence one-on-one? Uh, how about, you know, like, it's it's like that, you know, like, there's a structure in place to keep it from disrupting into chaos. Uh, um, so, like, all these, they have this meeting, you know, like, they all go over there, like, I'm antsy, and, like, they took my cigarettes, but I only got to smoke one, man, and I'm like, what the fuck, and I think I'm gonna die, you know, like, <laughs> please give me one, <laughs> and, uh, so they're over there for a while, man, and, like, each group is separated, and everybody's ready to go, you know, and, like, you can tell tensions are high, and I'm stuck in the middle of this shit, like, what the fuck am I gonna do? And so, finally, the verdict comes down, and he comes over to me and says, here's how it's gonna be. You're gonna get ten cigarettes. That's all you're gonna get. You're not gonna get involved in this shit anymore. And if you want cigarettes... You come to us first, to the, his organization, <laughs> to buy them. You cool with that? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> okay, then. It's squashed. You almost get, and then, like, later on, he explains to me the whole situation, you know, because I still felt pissed. I was like, man, I paid fucking way more than that for those 10 fucking cigarettes. That's bullshit. You know, because I should have got, like, enough cigarettes to last me a while, a week or so, and me smoking like normal. Because I paid a lot of stamps for that shit. <laughs> but I got 10 cigarettes out of the deal. And like, oh, it's fucking, like, and like every time those, anybody walked by my rack after that for a while, just gave me a stank look for like, yeah, I can't believe what you almost got started in here. Because you'll fucking, because <laughs> you want some cigarettes. Uh, so that shit goes down. So I kind of feel a little initiated into the criminal world. And like I, I feel like maybe I can hold my own. It might not be that bad. Uh, and kind of adjust into it. Because that's the thing about humans. Is we're resilient. And we can adapt to anything. And so once you, like you go through the stages of, of grief or whatever, you know, and have accepted that this is your fate, you kind of can, you can live with it. You know, it's not horrible. Uh so I've I've accepted it, and then about a month goes by, and they call my name again when it's time for the A custody guys to go up there to take the psych evals and everything, and they say, oh, I was like, what the fuck, you know? And like every time you do that, you gotta wait in the hall for an hour, you gotta go march up the hill and wait in that hall for an hour and go through all this shit. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck? Why don't they just take me to where I'm supposed to go so I can get this shit over with? Because I'm tired of dealing with it. So they march me back up there, and they're like, oh, they take take me in to see the counselor, and they're like, oh, we fucked your custody up, man. We're sorry, and, you know, like, your lawyer contacted us, and everything's been straightened out. And you, But you got to go through the process again. So I had to redo everything, like retake my psych evals and lie about my suicide attempts and everything again, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Take my aptitude tests and all that, and uh, go through the whole rigmarole. And then it was still like another eight weeks before they finally came and tapped my toe. And it all kind of worked out to the good because I ended up getting sent to, uh, oh, and like when they come tap your toe, you're back up the hill again. And you, and you they do that in like the middle of the night. It's like two, three in the morning they do it. Uh, and then so you get no breakfast, you get no food all day. And you're sitting in there and they come and give you green and whites and all that stuff. And you're, you get better state issue stuff. Uh, and then uh, your bus driver comes who's going to take you to your facility or whatever. Uh, but uh, but like you're happy then. Like you still, you've been here. Oh man, it's great. It's They got direct TV. They ain't no locks. You can go outside. You can get boxes sent in. I'll go more in detail what that's like once I get into episodes about what the facilities are actually like things like that but this is just kind of your road to prison uh, that might even be what I call this one I don't know uh, so luckily in all of that 
I ended up getting uh, sent to the facility that is five miles away from the house where my wife, our girlfriend at the time, not really my girlfriend then, we had just been uh, writing letters back and forth. I mean, this was still tenuous at best. Uh, five miles away from where she grew up at. So she can come and see me. And she's like finishing up college during this time. Like I was in there long enough for her to finish up her summer semester. And then she's back home doing her student teaching. Because uh, she's, she's an art teacher. That's what my wife does. <laughs> teacher and a felon. Uh, opposites attract, I guess. Uh, but anyway. Um, so she's doing her student teaching there. So she's going to be there for the whole time that I'm at that facility. Uh, and like I've got my 25% eligibility back, and my 30 for 30, all that's back. And like A custodies can, or after six months, you're eligible for a weekend pass where you get to go back home. Uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of perks to it because you're not violent. You know, you're not a dangerous person. You just probably made a mistake or you got a raw deal or whatever, you know, like. And also, they're going to get cheap labor out of you. you know, so that's another thing. It is it's slavery again. It's work camps, just like you see in, uh, not as violent, but like you see in Cool Hand Luke and shit like that, working on the roads and stuff. It's free labor for the state. Or just like in Shawshank, who's scamming them. And all, I'm sure there's plenty of that going on. Uh, but that's what it is. It's work camp. You're doing labor for, for no food because they starve you in there. Uh, work camps were worse than uh, the one I was at they starved us worse than they did at Rankin County man it was awful uh, but so she could come see me every week and, uh, and she did she only missed once she got a stomach flu one time and then my fucked up self even begrudged her that but her mom came to visit and uh, that's a whole nother <laughs> get into all that uh, but that's what it's like the road to prison uh it's a long one. Uh, so, uh, let me think. Too tough to die. Uh, I want to do some plugging stuff too. Uh, uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at felonious underscore Mitch. Go to my Patreon page. Uh, it's patreon.com backslash felonious Mitch. Uh, Go to my website, feloniousmitch.com. I've been putting a lot more uh, journal entries and things like that and uh, photos and stuff. And I'm up to 82 followers now. Uh, three people in Ireland have looked at my website. I don't know if they listen to the podcast, but they've looked at my website. And so that's really cool, man. Uh, I just want to thank everybody out there that is listening or going to the website. And it just means a lot to me, man, to just to know that you're out there listening uh, and and give me some feedback you know if, if anybody wants to comment or, or whatever you can email me at feloniousmitch at gmail.com uh, whatever questions you want to know what it's like to shit need a knee to a 300 pound guy <laughs> I could tell you all about it uh, uh, see my too Tough to Die is going to be kind of weak this time because I went out on a limb uh, with this episode. Uh, this stuff kind of really came flowing out of me. Oh, and I got to wrap it up before they get back from the ballet. Um, so, uh, this is one about. Uh, so, remember I told you I, I lived, uh, my grandmother's house was in between the creek, between my best friends. That's the overflow from the TVA. Uh, well, back in the day, uh, they still had a wood bridge across it. It was the wood slat, like old school style, no rails or anything, just a bridge. Uh, and under there, there's all those huge white rocks, like you see it uh, on the side of railroad tracks or the waterway, but the great big ones, you know. Uh, uh, we used to ride our bikes on it all the time and stuff. And uh, one day, uh, I'm riding down through there, and there's these two girls. Uh, teenage girls walking down through uh, it's the middle of summer and I kind of started noticing those things uh, even as a young kid uh, so I'm not paying attention man I'm looking back at them and, and watching them walk and 
wasn't watching where I was going, and I pedal off this bridge. And it's about a 10, 15-foot drop, man, onto these massive boulders. So I just, whoop, rode right off and, like, head first, dude, right down into it. And I luckily missed every single one of those giant boulders and landed in the little bit of water that was there in the soft, I mean, I landed on the top of my head. It just and sunk down in it. I had to kind of push myself out to get break the suction, you know, and fell down. Uh, probably did some damage to my neck, but I, it seemed like I just bounced right back from it. But I, like, when I kind of, I was in shock that I didn't destroy it because, like, when I went over the edge of the bridge, I knew this was it. Like, I'm about to die right here because that was around the time and when they started really starting pushing, uh, bicycle helmet safety and stuff at school uh we had done like a saint jude thing where they made everybody wear a helmet and that was one of the pride like everybody got a helmet for participating uh but they're really pushing wearing helmets when you ride your bike because a lot of kids were dying and so that was like the first thing that goes through my head as i'm as my front tires going off the edge of the bridge and i'm looking at these huge rocks coming for my face like, oh no, I'm going to be one of those kids who died from not wearing his bicycle helmet. And like the image of the St. Jude helmet that they use, like a, kind of like a, uh, it's like, it's the early 90s. So if you can think like that style, like the bus seat print style with those kind of flash font things on the side, you know, looks kind of like the flash symbol, but it's all like fat and weird looking, uh, or like trapper keeper covers. It was that kind of bicycle helmet. Uh, <laughs> but luckily, I missed all the boulders. Uh, that is another addition of Too Tough to Die. My voice is going, and I've got to listen to all this and edit all the coughs and everything else. So, everybody have a great day, man. Later. Happy 420.